verse 6. In this verse, it says, it is impossible to please God without faith. It says, anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Along this journey of faith, you're going to have mountaintop highs. You're going to have successes. You're going to have things that are amazing in your life. You're going to blow out services with the Holy Ghost. You're going to see things that you don't expect to happen, happen, jobs that you never thought you could possibly get. God's going to do those things for you. And you're going to have promotions that are at the right time in your life. You're going to have just amazing things that God will do. But then you'll have valley lows, times of death of a loved one and loss of a job and a wrecked marriage and diagnoses that are terminal and addictions that come to you and loneliness and depression and offenses. And you will even have plains of calm, tranquil times, peace and times of ease, coasting and resting in your life with God. But you have to be careful in these plains of calm because these are dangerous places if you're not aware of what can happen on those planes of calm. You can com become complacent and you can sit on a pew and it becomes ritual instead of relationship. Tonight my topic is going to be embers of the fire. If you will, take a moment with me, pray over this service. Pray for me and the anointing God has tonight for this service. I, I ask that you would also Say a prayer for yourselves, that the word would adhere to your hearts, that it would pierce those places that we need to have God touch, places that God can touch. Father, we come to you this evening, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for your presence here in this service already, Lord. We know that it's Wednesday night, but you can move on a Wednesday night, on a Monday night, a Tuesday night. There doesn't matter. There's no limitations to where you can move. And so we're here gathered together that we might hear your word and the word that you have for us this evening, Lord. So we pray, Jesus, over this service in your holy name. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You know, in order to see your promise, there has to be a perseverance of your faith. You're going to go through these things that I talked about in my opening. I read from Hebrews 11. Verse 6, and in this beginning of this chapter, that lists an entire cast. This chapter lists an entire cast of individuals who had to persevere through their faith. They had to do things that required great faith. They were tested regularly in order to get there in that chapter. You know, faith's an amazing thing to have. In fact, I would say that great faith is even a blessing to have. Now, these individuals listed in Hebrews 11 might seem to even be the most faithful throughout all of Scripture. But what we do not read is their failures, their struggles, their depressions, and their valleys. One of the historic characters listed in the chapter of faith is David. The Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. David gets anointed to be king early in his life above his brother's. Even though, really, he was what seems like an afterthought to his dad. David faces a giant and slings a rock that in an amazing shot kills that giant Goliath. 
David plays music for King Saul while having the anointing to be king one day, soothing the tormenting spirits of Saul. But before David was ever anointed king, he went through some things. We can see the rejection of a father and the overlooking of David in his own family. David isolated and alone in that field with the sheep that he was blessed to watch over. And what can happen there, you can learn things in the field that can only be learned in the field. That can only be learned when you're alone with God. And David learned these things. But there are times that your faith is going to be tested that you will go through this crucible of life. Psalms 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the beginning of this Psalm 23, David is using the word he. We can see where there was a transition in that valley of death. Where God became he, he became thou to David. It became a possessive phrasing. He is thou now. He is my God. He became David's God. It was in that valley that David learned some things about who God was. There was a shift in that valley for David. I can say that something came alive in David's faith in that valley experience. And there are some things that can only be learned in the valley. And the valley is where God reveals his identity to us. And God began to reveal himself to my family through our own valley experience. Our son Gabriel had gone through some hard times, through some hard things that were rocking our family's world. Gabe had been in agonizing pain. He cried out in screams of horror and anguish. Our home was on eggshells with a sick child who seemed to never get better no matter what the doctors diagnosed, no matter what they gave us to give to him. I felt powerless as a father and a husband to protect and care for my child. My wife took Gabe one day to the hospital for x-rays and they found spots on his kidneys. Our home was broken and this was just another crack in the wall of our life. You see, I was an atheist an addict, a PTSD sufferer, and a selfish person. I had a broken marriage, a sick son, and I was a loser father. A struggling mom, our ki- other kids feeling left out due to doctor visits, fighting in the home, and my own personal neglect. Sometimes the valley gets really dark. Our son went from nightly screams of anguish and sleepless nights to joy and peace returned to our home. In that valley, I became a first-generation apostolic. My marriage restored and the PTSD gone. No more drugs and a healthy relationship with my family. 
We were watching God perform a miracle right before our eyes in our own home. Can I say that God revealed to us in our family that he is a healer, that he is a way maker, a provider. He is the God of everything and anything that you are needing in this season of your life. But God wasn't done with us yet. We had another valley to take us through. You know, one thing about me I'll say is I'm a worst case scenario kind of guy. I just want to clarify that. You can start listing off symptoms of a drug or whatever it is, a sickness, and instantly I think I have it. I'll be the guy scratching. I'll be like this because I just like feel like I have whatever it is it says. I, I cannot watch those commercials that start listing off at the end of the uh, commercial all the symptoms that you might have because instantly I'm like, I need to call my health care provider. But because the end of the video, I, I'm, I'm all messed up when that happens. And two years later, though, after Gabe's healing, my wife began to have incredible pain in her body. Where she was hospitalized for what seemed like forever. But in reality, it was just a couple of weeks in the hospital. No matter what they did, they could not find what was causing the pain. Some of you remember that. Some of you were here with us. And, and, I, and you prayed for us. And you spent time with us in the hospital. And I can say this. What a blessing it is to have a church family. What a blessing it is to have people who will pray for you, who will get in your corner when you need it the most, who are going to support you through the hard times. We had the church praying and keeping us in our in company. And in this time, I found a deeper prayer life with God. I was desperate to have more time with my wife. And God performed another miracle in our home. And I watched our merciful and loving God give me more time with my wife. There are times that you are going to be tested in your faith. But I ask a question, what is faith? Scripture describes faith as the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So it's fair to say that in the testing of your faith and your hope, the Savior is going to be doing some things behind the scenes. Some things that you aren't aware of, that you don't know what's going on and taking place behind the curtain, so to speak. God's working on your behalf even when you don't know he's working on your behalf. Times that are in the testing and then the trials of our faith, it does require us to hold on to something more than ourselves. And it even requires us to hold on to more than other people. In fact, your trial might come at the hands of other people. People that should care about you the most. It might come in financial ruin, a diagnosis that is terminal, a divorce or a marriage that's rocked by a choice, addiction that returns to haunt you one more time. But what happens when you hit the wall that no, much, no matter how much force you exhibit against it, it will not move? Or when that immovable object in your life meets the unstoppable force? Will you become bitter and distant or will you... Cry out to God in the desperation and the darkness of night and the valley experience that you're experiencing. Heavyweight Joe Box, uh, boxer Joe Frazier is quoted as saying this. He says, you can map out a light plan or a life plan. But when the action starts, it may not go the way you planned. And you're down to the reflexes you developed in training. 
And that is where the road work shows. The training you did in the dark of the morning will show when you're under the bright lights. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth about the troubles we encounter in this world and where our true hope resides in 2 Corinthians. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. The outcomes of your trial will be determined by your relationship with God. The times you spend in the prayer closet. The times that you spend in the word. The times in the mornings when no one knows what you're doing. When no one sees the effort you put into your relationship. That what will be what determines how you respond in the trial. And the trials and hardships that we go through are really just there to help us. I know that's hard to hear sometimes when you're going through it. No one wants to hear that, well, it's going to be okay. God's got you. Or you're going to make it. It's going to be just fine. God's, God knows all. God's, God's in control. And that's true. But you don't want to hear it when you're going through the valley. But Romans 5 says this. It says we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Can you for a moment imagine the love God has for you? Just for a brief moment, I want to say, let's just give God glory for how much he cares for us, how much he loves us. Let's just lift him up for a second in this service and thank him for his love for us, his undying love, because he is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of, our, of all that we can give unto him. Yes, Lord, we praise you. We thank you, Jesus, for you are worthy, Lord. Yes, Lord, we thank you. You know, he doesn't look at where you used to be. He looks at where you're at. Some of us in this service tonight are like, we don't have any problems, like going through any problems. Everything's just kind of going good. Everything's going great. But then there's some of us that tonight we came into this service and we know there's a burden on us. We've suffered some loss this year. And we, man, we're going through the trial of our lives. I haven't told anybody, maybe. Maybe we confided in a few. But there's just something going on right now in your life. And you came here tonight, and you wondered, is a Wednesday night going to be a place that God can help me? Is Wednesday night going to be a place that God can come and, and comfort me? And I say, yes, it is. Because it doesn't have to be on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. It could be every single day of the week that God can comfort you. He can meet you where your need is at. But there are some of us that are just beginning this walk with God as well. And we wonder sometimes, do we disappoint God? And there are times when we consider, you know, that conviction that God gave me. Am I really holding true to it? Am I really sticking with it? And God says, it's to draw you closer, those convictions. Not to draw you away. Not to push you away. Condemnation is what pushes you away. That condemnation that you feel is really the devil whispering in your ear, 
telling you to get away from God. Conviction is what God has given you so that you might draw closer to him, so that you might pray deeper prayers, so that you might find a relationship. Because there's something there that he needs to remove in order to have that deeper relationship with you. And that's why scripture says there is no condemnation in those that trust in Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you're feeling convictions in your life, then it's not time to run away, but it's time to draw closer to God. It's time to put the the God in the place that he needs to be in so that he can work on your behalf. The truth is that not every trial we find ourselves, though, are things that happen to us or things that happen just in general. Sometimes there are decisions that we make. You look at Samson and Judges, and you can see a man that was anointed to be, to be judge over the nation of Israel. Samson is one of those names listed in, the, in, in this Hebrews chapter. And Samson allowed the enemy to come into his personal life and destroy the anointing that God had on him. When Delilah tricked Samson into giving up his secret of his strength, it was Samson's pride that caused him to fall. There are places that as men and women of God we cannot go, that we cannot be a part of. There are relationships that we cannot have and that we should run away from. And there are times that if you entertain the enemy of your trial, what is birthed in secret will be seen in public. Samson's strength was taken and his eyes were gouged out. He was blinded and binded by a decision that was born out of being in the wrong place. Your choices of who you spend time with, what you allow in your home, where you choose to go, have the power to blind you and bind you. Yet, in the end, we can see that this man who risked his favor for a relationship outside of the will of God ends up in the chapter of faith. This isn't because of Samson's strength, though. It was this verse found in Judges 16, verse 28. Samson calls him to the Lord, and he said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson knew that he had made a mistake. This was his moment to say, it's you that gives me all my strength, Lord. It's you that I put my trust into. And in that moment, as he pushed those pillars to the side and that building collapsed, God granted what Samson was seeking. And I say that there are times that we need to be brought low so that God can use us and work through us. Your decisions that you made in weakness, they do not define you and they are not who you are. Matthew 16, 18, we can see Peter is declared the rock of the church. He's declared as the church will be built upon him. Yet, what happens? Peter fails many times in his faith and in his faithfulness. Matthew 15, 16, Peter scolds the little children for coming to Jesus. Now that says that all the disciples did, but we're talking about Peter. Mark 10 says the Bible doesn't necessarily say that. So, But, you know, Peter's fails continue. He doesn't walk on water, doesn't continue to walk on water, but he had the faith to start. Matthew 14 says Peter resists the single greatest reason that Jesus even came 
in the flesh. It was sown for the sin of the human race. And Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to have to suffer at the hands of the scribes and the Pharisees. He knows that this is going to happen. But in Peter's fashion, he begins to tell Jesus, no, Lord, no, not going to happen to you. It can't happen to you. And Jesus rebukes him, says, get behind me, Satan. Tells him about how the the cock would crow and the rooster would crow and that he would deny him three times. And meanwhile, in Matthew 26, I'll read this. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came up to him and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean, right? But Peter denied it in front of everyone. He says, I don't even know who you're talking about, he said. Later out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A a little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore, curse if I am lying. I don't know the man, and immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. For Peter, this wasn't just an act of betrayal. This wasn't just a mistake that he made. For Peter, this was the last thing in his mind Jesus would see him do. For Peter, this moment was heavy. It caused him to weep bitterly, to to break down. I can tell you, if you've ever weeped bitterly, it is different than just crying. It's different than just being sad. It's different than just having a moment of, of, of being just just crying. It's gut-wrenching tears. It's sorrow that passes your understanding of how bad things are. And if you've ever felt that, you can relate to what I'm saying. Because it was in valleys that you experienced these things. It was in the moment watching my child go through the worst possible time in his life that I knew what it meant to weep bitterly. I felt the the power of God come over me in that moment. But I can tell you this, that Peter in that moment felt the exact same way. Everything crashing down around Peter. Everything coming to a screeching halt in his life. Jesus had just suffered the death on the cross. He denied him. He knew what happened. And it wasn't supposed to happen like this for Peter. I think that we can relate to that feeling sometimes. Have you ever been there? That moment in your life when you say, it wasn't supposed to happen like this. It wasn't supposed to happen to me. It wasn't supposed to go this way. And you're stuck, stuck with these feelings of, I did everything I know to do. I did everything in my power to achieve the results that I desired in my life. A happy life, a good career, a good education, friends that care for me and I cared for them. 
Yet it happened. I lost the job. I suffered the loss of my loved one. My marriage is in a state of shambles. My addiction got a hold of me, and the doctor, he diagnosed me. And that fire that once burned in my soul has gone out. These are feelings of failure and of remorse and of disappointment. All the while, your world is crashing down all around you. It's falling apart. And the first thing that you think about is running away from the disappointments, from the thing, the tragic moments in your life, the expectations of what you thought would have happened or could have happened or should have happened. Things weren't supposed to look that way. But can I say you're not alone in these feelings? That anybody who's really transparent in this moment will tell you that they felt the exact same thing at some point in their life. That feeling, that brief, maybe very brief moment of going back. That idea that maybe this wasn't meant for me. And all these disciples had forsook Jesus in the end, except for John. He remained at the foot of the cross. And Peter, he wanted to carry a burden that wasn't his to carry. And some of these disciples, they wanted power that wasn't theirs to have. Some of them just wanted to watch Rome burn. And some betrayed Jesus with a kiss. But in Peter's weeping after his great remorse, the first thing that he did was go back to what he knew before the tragedy. There are two responses to great tragedy in someone's life. They either go back and reinvent themselves and redefine their life, or they give up and the tragedy defines the remainder of their time here on this earth. For those of us in attendance tonight who things have gone sideways, they've gone inside out, in every which way you have two choices. You can give up, you can lay down, and you can throw in the towel. Or you can stay and you can fight and you can put your faith in God and what he has for you in this season. Because I promise you, you will be victorious if you put your trust in Jesus. And no matter what age you are, what economical background you come from, what ethnicity you have, or what situation you're facing, if you stand back up, you can withstand failures, the losses and those unmanageable moments of pain. You don't know how faithful God is until you're facing those disappointments and those losses in your life. You don't know how good a God he is until you have to know how good a God he is. And it is in those moments that he will show you more than you ever thought he could. Revelation upon revelation will come upon you when you put your trust in him in those seasons. I know the voice in your life is telling you that you're not good enough. I've heard the voice myself. I know that every time you go to stand back up, it reminds you that you lost everything. That voice you're hearing is the enemy's war chant. He says you're not good enough. You're not qualified. You're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. You don't have the educational background it takes. You don't have the relationship with God like you think you do. And that's the enemy's war chant. He just keeps saying it over and over and over in your ear. And you keep, it echoes like a, a bad dream in your, in your mind. And you just have to stop and say, you're not the God of me because my God is greater than you. 
You have no authority in my life, devil. Get out of here and run. Because when it says the devil will flee in the name of Jesus, so you just say that name. You are capable. You are called. First Peter says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have this truth for ourselves, and we know this truth because Jesus has set us free. He gave us the keys. He puts a spirit in you that allows you to have confidence in him. Allows you to have confidence that you can withstand those fiery darts of the enemy. And so Jesus says to you, I do see you. I do see where you're at. But I ask, what happened to Peter after this moment in, li- in his life? Where did he go? He went fishing. Sometimes you just got to go fishing. John 21 actually says, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. When things don't turn out like we thought, we have a tendency to return to a time of nostalgia. A time that we think used to be something we enjoyed. Almost like the past wasn't that bad. There's this weird moment when you return, though, that you realize that the Reality you experience is not what you remember. You know, you can't go back to things and, be, and then be the same. The house you grew up in will change. The atmosphere of the bar that you frequented will change. The relationship that you once had changes. Peter was going through this very thing. He's going through changes. Peter says, I'm just going to go fishing. After all, what is there left to do? Jesus died. I betrayed him. I, I denied him. But the disciples responded and said, well, we'll come too. So they went out in the boat and they caught nothing all night. And at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there was so many fish in it. In this moment, I'm going to take you there. Jesus is sitting on the beach with them, and there's this moment when Jesus is sitting there, and there's campfire. They're eating breakfast. They're enjoying his company. It was a moment where Jesus is taking time with his disciples, reminding them of what used to be, but it wasn't over. It wasn't going to end there. And this moment as they ate, it was almost like it used to be for them. They saw Jesus die. They know he died on the cross, but yet in this moment, there was just a connection, something going on there where Jesus is just ministering to them because sometimes when you go through the valley you go through this moment where you come out on the other side of it and you think everything's going to change everything's going to be better everything's going to be great now 
because I know that God did this for me. But there's residual scars. There's things that we deal with still. Not everything is just healed after the valley. Sometimes the valley experience defines God to you, but then you have to continue to grow in him, continue to get to know him, continue to learn from him. And he ministers to you in these seasons after the valley. There are times when you begin to feel his hand upon you, and he heals your life in ways that you didn't even know needed to be healed. He takes you from an experience that you didn't know existed to a place that he only can reside in. And these are after the valley. Praise God. He's worthy of all our praise. And in this moment, I can say this. Jesus did not condemn Peter. You know, for me, I got to say, sometimes I do read this scripture and I think, you know, I think Jesus could have maybe just said something to him, maybe a little bit of like, hey, Peter, you know, you did this, right? But, but no, Jesus doesn't condemn Peter. I think maybe I might have, but Jesus doesn't. He gives him grace. It's a whole lot easier sometimes to forgive other people. I'm going to say, instead of sometimes, I think most of the time, it's easier to forgive other people than it is even ourselves. We have a tendency to be way harder on ourselves than we do other people. And a whole lot less forgiving when we make the mistakes. And I do think, I think Jesus could have beat him up a little bit. Maybe give him a little bit of scolding. But no, Jesus looks at Peter and all he does is ask Peter a question. He says, it says in John 21, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time, and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I'm wrapping up. Revelations 12 says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. I read a powerful reading, writing actually on a post from Brother Raymond Woodward about a well-loved and highly esteemed missionary by the name of Steve Willoughby who left this world on February 8th, 2013. He had watched his beloved wife, Barbara, succumb to cancer in a Singapore hospital four years earlier. After a 12-year battle with that dreaded disease, And his own cancer had robbed him of his mobility months before he passed. But Steve Willoughby wrote these words in the middle of his battle. Satan, devil, Lucifer, whatever you're called, your name represents destruction, death, and disease. You kill, destroy, maim, wound, hurt, murder, and slaughter. You are heartless, soulless, without love, mercy, or kindness. Your name represents deceit, deception, and dishonesty. 
You are a con, a liar, a cheat, and a counterfeiter. You are a fraud, a fake, pretender, and phony. You are the propagator of pain and poison. And you do not scare me. Because you are not the God of me. You are not the Lord of me. You have no authority in my life except by permission. You can't kill, hurt, or destroy the eternal part of me. I belong to Jesus. He is my redeemer, my rescuer, my restorer, and my savior. He is my Lord by choice, and I choose him. I reject you and everything about you. But as for this Jesus, I trust him. I love him. I love his will. I love his ways. I love his truth, and I love his doctrine and his holiness. I am confident in his love because his love never fails. It never ends. It is forever as promised. In the name of Jesus, there is peace, light, love, and joy. And Jesus has all power. He has all dominion. And you never get the final say. If you will, stand with me tonight. Romans 8. Paul wrote this. He says, as it is written... For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you understood the love that Jesus has for you tonight, Jesus is looking at where you are at. He's looking at your circumstance, and he's saying, I love you. I care for you. I know that you're in the trial of your life, but there's joy on the other side. I know that the job you needed, you lost it, but I have provision you don't know about. I know you're ready to move on from the season that you're in. But there are lessons yet to be learned in this season. I know that loneliness and isolation has made you depressed. But that is where I want to meet you and be the comforter that you need. I know that you're ready to give up, but don't give up before the breakthrough. And what Jesus was saying to Peter on that beach was, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. But now it's time to feed my sheep, to share my testimony. God, these altars are open. Come, let's pray tonight. Let's let the Lord our God be able to minister to us in this evening. Let's go ahead. Jesus, we praise you. Lord, you're worthy of all our praise. We give you glory. We give you honor, Lord. Oh, Lord, we might be going through seasons that are difficult times when we felt like we failed you. But yet you're still the God of our, of our future, the God of our tomorrow, the God of our today and of our present time, Lord. For you are worthy, Jesus, of all our praise. You are the healing God. You are the mighty God. We worship you, Jesus. We praise you. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord.